You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. Probably already sunk at this point, and every time you think they have hit rock bottom, well, their next time they take the field, they managed to find a new low, and they did that again tonight, losing their ninth consecutive game. The first time they have lost that many games in a row since 1982. We have Harvey Cruz, we have Chantel Rankin producing the show. I can guarantee you I'm the only one of the three of us who was alive the last time the Yankees lost nine consecutive games. A lot of the listeners weren't alive. A lot of the callers tonight were not alive. A lot of the fans have never seen this level of despair from their New York Yankees. Believe me. Listen, I lived through the 80s. I can tell you it has happened before. It hasn't happened often, but it has happened before. But it has been a very, very long time since it has reached this point. And it's not just the losses. Again, it's the non-competitive feel from this team. Tonight, they managed two hits. How many times recently have there been one hit, four hit? Tonight, two hits. And both hits coming from their worst hitter in the lineup, who came into the game hitting 095, Ben Rortvit, whose average jumped to 136 after his two-for-two two explosion. And it comes against the Washington Nationals. Look, you look back over this losing streak. It started in Miami. It started that weekend when they were shut down by Sandy Alcantara, the reigning National League Cy Young Award winner, nearly two weeks ago. And then the following day was when the Yankees suffered their worst loss of the season, blowing the four-run lead in the bottom of the ninth inning. Clay Holmes uh, doing the honors there as the Marlins walked off a win. Then they go to Atlanta, the best team in baseball, non-competitive. Then they come home for the Red Sox, a team trying to fight to get into the playoffs, a very good offensive team. They handle the Yankees the first two games easily, and they sweep the series. Those are all good teams. Those are all playoff contending teams. Those are all teams that at this point in the season need those games. So you figure after a day off yesterday, finally, finally, a soft spot in the schedule. The Washington Nationals, who not unlike the Mets did this year, not too long ago, the Nationals broke down their entire roster. They traded Max Scherzer, they traded Josh Bell, they traded Juan Soto, and they replenished their entire system top to bottom and they seem to be ahead of schedule and you know what everybody seems to be ahead of schedule isn't that who the Yankees are right now the Nationals playing with these quote-unquote no names these guys who have yet to establish themselves in Major League Baseball they come into Yankee Stadium they're more athletic they put the bat on the ball they come up with the timely hits they make the plays in the field and the Yankees are the Yankees. And as I said the other night on this show, the Yankees are the Yankees means something completely different than it used to. When you hear now the Yankees are the Yankees, you think of John Carlos Stanton, a statue on the field, can't ever seem to come up with a big hit when needed. You think of DJ LeMahieu. You're starting to think of Aaron Judge, who struggled mightily tonight and came up with a chance to do some damage a couple of times and was actually booed after striking out in his last at-bat. That's how bad it has gotten. Think about where we were a year ago. 
Think about where Aaron Judge was one year ago. He was on his way to an historic season, a record-breaking season. He was on his way to becoming one of the most beloved Yankees of the last 50 years. And now he's being booed? And it's not all because of him, but it was him at that moment. And collectively, it is this Yankees team that is continuing to go backwards. And with all the times I've come on this station lately, you do start to you do start to run out of answers, right? What can they do to fix this? Gordon Damer, I mean, it's kind of tongue-in-cheek, but it wasn't. At the end of his show with Larry, Gordon's like, get better players. It, it, it starts there. You know, you think about the Nationals. You got these guys like Abrams, um, the guy who started tonight, the kid from New Rochelle, Josiah Gray. They've got all these young, athletic players at the beginning of their careers. And you don't know what they're going to be, but it's exciting and it's fun. And they seem to have a lot of talent. And they play with this sort of, you know, unbridled, throw caution to the wind type of joy. And you're seeing that throughout Major League Baseball. Watching the Mets game right now, Ronald Acuna Jr. comes up in the eighth inning. By the way, the Mets are continuing to fight against the Braves. They only have three hits tonight, but they're trailing 3-2 to two in the top of the ninth inning with the tying run on base and nobody out. But, you know, I look up five minutes ago and I just see Ronald Acuna Jr. take this incredibly vicious whack at the baseball. It reaches the warning track in about three seconds, takes one hop over the left field wall. And he's one of these young, exciting players that are all throughout Major League Baseball. Who do the Yankees have in that mold? Who do they have in that mold? Anthony Volpe's the closest thing they have, and he's certainly not on that level. So what is out there for the Yankees to get better, to get out of this rut, to get out of this cycle? This is reaching epic proportions. And you could see it coming 100 miles away. You could see it coming in June. You could see it coming in July when everybody was waiting around. Just wait till Judge gets back. As soon as Aaron Judge gets back, everything is going to be fine. They've been worse since Aaron Judge came back, and not because of Aaron Judge. And no, he hasn't been great. And Judge is a story all unto himself right now because how much longer are the Yankees going to continue to run out the future of this franchise in a season that has already been lost and risk him further injuring his toe that cost him two months? That's an issue. That's a legitimate question. You know, that's probably the one thing that can happen to actually make this season worse is if Judge re-injures his foot or re-injures his toe or doesn't allow it to fully heal by not getting the necessary rest. This Yankees team is going nowhere. You have two players that you can hang your hats on for next year and beyond. One is Garrett Cole and one is Aaron Judge, and that is it. For $300 million, $300 million, that is it. That is not money well spent. And I wondered for weeks. Look, we like I said, there were signs that there were problems in J June. There were signs that there were problems in July. 
by the time we got to the trade deadline at the beginning of August, we knew that it was a long shot for this team to even make the playoffs, and then they've completely cratered since then. Now five and four team since the All Star since the uh, since the trade deadline on August first, five and four team. So there were signs that this team wasn't going to get into the playoffs this year like we're so accustomed. And it was already on the road to being a disappointing season. When they were eight games above 500, it was a disappointing season. When they were six games above 500, it was disappointing. Five games above 500, it was disappointing. How about now? How about five games below 500? I don't think anyone a month ago allowed themselves to even fathom this was a possibility. But I wondered a month ago how, because you could tell that changes in the way that this franchise is run, you could tell that changes needed to be made. And the big question was, how bad does it have to get for changes to actually be made this year? And we know what the changes are. The changes are with the people or specifically the person who is in charge of making the roster decisions. The guy who's been making the roster decisions for 25 years and has had a lot of success and has led this team to the playoffs the vast majority of the time. But in recent years, while leading this team to the playoffs, the results, the end results have not been there. And it seems slowly but surely to be getting worse and worse. And there's no slow and there's no sure about this. This is a team that has absolutely cratered here in 2023. So we got lots to get to about the Yankees. Your calls, of course, 1-800-919-3776. The Mets, like I said, putting up a fight, tying run on second base, two outs, top of the ninth inning in Atlanta. We also have a lot of football to talk. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll welcome in Connor Rogers, who's part of the Jets pre- and post-game coverage on SNY and covers the NFL for a lot of other different outlets. Get his thoughts on the Giants and Jets preseason game coming up this Saturday. And, of course, the start of the NFL regular season. That's all on the table here on ESPN New York Tonight on 98.7. Obviously, we're, we're in it to win it. We're in it to win it. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York Tonight. Time to talk some football, though, as we welcome in Connor Rogers, who's all over the place covering the NFL. Uh, here in New York, you see him on the pre- and post-game coverage on SNY of the New York Jets. Connor, how you doing tonight? I'm good, Pat. What's going on, man? Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. Always great to to chat with you, especially this time of the year. Um, let's get right to the the preseason finale on Saturday night at MetLife Stadium. And, of course, with the news this week that Aaron Rodgers will be, and we don't know for how long, but he will be making his debut on the field in a game for the New York Jets. How highly anticipated a preseason matchup will this be this weekend? I think it'll be huge. I think, number one, you get to see Rodgers actually wearing a Jets uniform out there on MetLife playing in a real live-action game, even if the end result doesn't count. And seeing him – now, I'm curious to see what they put around him. Obviously, Dwayne Brown just getting off the pup list. Uh, He won't be in this game. You know, they're going to give Makai Beckton a real shot here at right tackle. Elijah Bear Tucker and Lincoln Tomlinson have been back at practice today. So we'll be curious to see how much of the actual offensive line they could put in front of him. Will Garrett Wilson get a couple of series with him as well? So obviously just building that timing, rhythm, comfort, going through the flow of actually coming out of the tunnel and, and starting a game for Rodgers is really big, no matter you know ultimately what kind of defense the Giants put out there. And they've been playing their starters a lot too. So 
I think people are excited, right? And it builds confidence. And that's the main thing Aaron Rodgers has done with his organization since he's got here is that he's inspired confidence with a coaching staff. You can see it on hard knocks. Defensive coordinator Jeff Ulbrich is looking at his guys and saying, this is our quarterback now. We are going to be in every single game this year. You could see the energy with Robert Sala. You could see the energy with the young players that basically grew up using Aaron Rodgers in Madden, and now he's their quarterback in real life. And I think what this does is it gives them a chance to inspire more confidence in a real game setting before the Jets ultimately kick off on September 11th against the Bills in which is a pivotal divisional game where the Jets don't really have time to kind of sleepwalk or ease into the season. It's full throttle from week one for this team. How long do you think the Jets will go with him? Do you think it'll be a series? Do you think it'll be two series? Do you think it'll be as long as a quarter? What's your feeling on that? I think two. I think, number one, if he comes out and he goes right down the field in a long scripted drive that's nine plays and they ultimately put up six points, uh, you know, then why keep going? I mean, you see all you need to see. You got the comfort. You got the execution. You know, if they struggle a little bit, I think they give them the second series. And I think something that has been very evident with this Jets organization that Rodgers really likes is the constant communication of trusting him, the veteran, the guy that's done it all in this league, multiple MVPs, the Super Bowl. I mean, they are going to lean on him and what he prefers and what he wants in this situation. Rodgers might have a, a long drive that results only in a field goal, but he might say, hey, listen, I'm feeling good. I'm okay. We got everything we needed to do. We're all set here. So it'll be a fluid situation. There's no doubt about that. I think if they, you know, obviously have an unfortunate uh, start to the series, there's no reason to not have confidence. They won't put him back out there for a second one. But I think a full quarter or a full half would really, really surprise me here. Connor, let's talk about the offensive line because that's really the biggest question mark of this team. And I was out there on Saturday night for the game against the Bucks and watching specifically Mekhi Becton, and I thought he looked good. And granted, you don't know how many full-fledged NFL players he's going up against, but he was out there for a nice long stretch, thought he looked good, thought he looked physically dominant. But overall, right now on, on this date, who do you see as the best five options to fill out the Jets' offensive line? I think ultimately, right, you got Joe Pittman dealing with the knee injury right now. So let's, let's rule him out. And they've eased him throughout this preseason, although he's looked good. And I think from a talent perspective, he's in the mix. But with that current injury, I think you're, you're pretty solidified on the left side. Dwayne Brown is your left tackle. They've been very steady about that. And now he's healthy and ready to roll. The money you've given, you've given Lakin Tomlinson and the belief that he could bounce back to form year two, well, that remains to be seen, but he's your left guard. And then you're going to go with the veteran at center and Connor McGovern because I think that's something that Rodgers prefers, and McGovern's very comfortable here. And I don't think the scheme will be ultimately so different from Michael Florida and Nathaniel Hackett where it's still a little bit of an advantage for McGovern. And then you look, the right side is where it actually gets interesting, right, Pat? Because Elijah Vera Tucker, in his four career starts at left tackle, has not surrendered a sack and has looked really, really effective in the run game as well. But they like ABT at right guard right now. That gives them a competitive advantage at right guard because of the way you can use him as a puller, because of the way he can eliminate a point A to B interior pressure for the old quarterback. And that leaves right tackle as the biggest question. And it's got to be Mekhi Becton. I mean, it absolutely has to be. I mean, they drafted Max Mitchell in the fourth round two years ago. He could be a swing tackle in this league. He's a guy that right now maybe you can get by with in a, in a pinch, get you through a tough spot. Same thing could be said for Billy Turner, who's the you know opposite end where he's the veteran. He's done it for a while. He's played guard and tackle, but you like him to get you through a spot start. That's, those guys, it's, it's tough in this league. You've got to park a tight end next to them at times. You've got to have the running backs chip on their releases. It's a lot to ask 
of how you hide those guys in the offense throughout a 17-game season. You don't have to do that when Mekhi Becton's on the field. The question is, can Mekhi Becton stay on the field? But when Mekhi Becton is out there on the field, he's not a guy you need to hide. He's actually a guy that if you form a right side of Elijah Vera Tucker at right guard, Mekhi Becton at right tackle, you can run behind that duo over and over again. And you can also kind of slide your protection a certain way. It really gives you a competitive advantage having those two playing next to each other for the run game, for the pass game. So when all is said and done, They've ramped up Becton really slowly, but he now that he's bought in to playing right tackle, he's in shape, he looks healthy, he should be the guy on the right side because that absolutely gives them their best five on the field when he's a part of it. And, Connor, if he puts forth another performance similar to what he did last Saturday against Tampa Bay, do you think that's enough for him to solidify that job on opening night? Easily. I honestly think that he could be average to below average this weekend, and I would still start him at right tackle. You've seen enough from – we have a full career sample size with Billy Turner. Max Mitchell has really gotten a lot of those first-team reps when they arrived for camp, which was early this year because the Hall of Fame game. So the Jets have had an extended training camp. I mean, I think the proof is in the pudding here that those guys, once again, are they serviceable backups? Yes, but there is a large, large difference in this league of a guy that could be a – uh, a starter for you and maybe even an impact starter on the offensive line versus a guy that's a depth piece. And right now, Makai Becton, he's in that big difference pool where, listen, when he suits up, you can kind of do a lot of things with him in the offense that you can't do with the other guys. And I think Aaron Rodgers is aware of that too. You could tell from their interactions as well. And I think that ultimately Becton has passed the most important steps of his process, right, Pat? Getting healthy, getting in shape, upping his snap count, that was a very important part of this piece. So the actual tape, as long as it's not abysmal, which Becton, you don't feel like it'll ever be that. He's just too talented. He's too big uh, for him to have that kind of drop-off in play. As long as he can get through the game, that job should be a lock for him. Final preseason game for the Jets and Giants this Saturday at MetLife Stadium. Our coverage begins at 4 o'clock here on 98.7 ESPN New York. Connor Rogers is part of the Jets pre- and post-game coverage on SNY. Uh, how about the running back position, Connor? Look, Dalvin Cook um, just got into camp. Brees Hall just got back onto the field. Cook in addition to having just gotten here, has been away from the team uh, with the birth of a child, also nursing an injury himself coming back. So as we spin it forward to September 11th, week one against Buffalo, what do you think the running back situation will look like for this Jets team? It feels like they'll kind of have this be an even rotation coming out of the gate where you're getting Brees Hall up to speed. Like you said, you're getting Dalvin Cook up to speed, and then Michael Carter should be the third guy. Listen, they like Bam Knight. They like Bam Knight's size. They like his ability to be a special teams player. He just hasn't had the preseason performances that you would hope for. And Carter has started to look like his rookie self again, where he's making that first guy miss. When you get him the ball in space on dump passes or outside runs, he's very, very elusive, very shifty. He kind of brings a different look, right? You have this running, this backfield right now where Brees has size and speed and Cook is a guy that's always had that outside speed, and they can both catch the ball. Carter is kind of this guy that you can lose behind the line of scrimmage, be a true scat back for you in this scheme that is going to you know, kind of apply some more inside zone principles. Under LaFleur, they were very outside zone heavy. I think there will be some balance here with Hackett. And Carter, actually, for being a smaller guy, is effective in inside zone because you kind of lose him behind the line of scrimmage, and he's got those quick feet. So, I think those three and probably a fullback in Nick Bowden, which kind of shows you the new wrinkles they'll add to this run game, 
feels like they'll make up the backfield. Cutting Bam Knight's tough, but when you have this much talent in the backfield, somebody's got to go. Does Abanaconda make the team? Yeah, and Abanaconda, who's dealing with the thigh injury, of course. It's kind of interesting how they'll deal with that situation. He has to make the team because, you know, they used the fifth-round pick on him. He's a really talented player. I had him in my top 100 prospects this year. I love what I saw from him this summer. You could see that speed. You could see even the spin move he put on someone. I mean, he's got so much burst, but unfortunately dealt with the, uh, I wouldn't call it overly significant, but dealt with a thigh contusion that, it seems to be pretty serious for an actual contusion from the game against the Bucks, where, you know, it seems like his preseason will be over and then they'll try to figure out how they're going to manipulate that 53 man roster. Now, if he was healthy, he's a lock to be on the roster. They're not going to cut him. You don't really want to risk going through the whole wa- the IR waiver process as well, because you can still have a team try to swipe him. So, but him being a fifth round rookie and him showing the kind of promise he has, especially for a 20 year old. I mean, this is a kid that doesn't turn 21 until October. He's not going anywhere. Connor, let's talk about the Giants. The uh, Obviously, their preseason finale this Saturday as well. Daniel Jones looked really good in his uh, first appearance last week. Um, but overall for this Giants team, um, what do you think is the path for improvement? Improvement on what was a surprisingly delightful season last year? I think it's Darren Waller's health. I know it's crazy. I really do. I think Darren Waller now being in his 30s, but being one of the more productive tight ends in the league over the last three years, I think he brings a dimension to the Giants' offense that they just didn't have last year, and that's size. And he's also really size in the slot, right? He's a tight end that can kick off the line of scrimmage. You could use the middle of the field where Daniel Jones seems really, really comfortable and accurate. Brian Dibble's offense has really set up Daniel Jones for success. you got Saquon back in the fold. Saquon led this team in targets last year, so you know Saquon is going to be a big part of the pass game and, of course, the run game. He really was the offense. Now, when you look at wide receiver, you're getting Jalen Hyatt up to speed. It's good to see him catch a touchdown in the preseason. I still feel like Isaiah Hodgins and Darius Slayton will probably start on the outside. They like Hodgins' size. He had a nice couple-week stretch there last year. Dable knows him from Buffalo. But I just look at this Giants team and really one guy on each side of the ball. I would go with Waller on the offensive side of the ball because he's a true mismatch player that plays to Daniel Jones' strength as a quarterback and Brian Dibble's strength as a play caller. You just need somebody that will scare you on this offense, not named Saquon Barkley, and getting Darren Waller is that guy. And then, of course, Kayvon Thibodeau on the defensive side of the ball. you got to take over games as a pass rusher. You were a top-five pick. you got to be able to go against the team's best tackles week on a week-by-week basis. you got to win with speed, power. He's obviously flashed that. We've seen some of it in the preseason again, building off of a rookie season that was solid. Uh, but he's got to be the difference maker for this team. Deontay Banks has had a nice summer, but listen, you can't expect all these these rookies and young guys to be superstars. So I think for Kayvon year two, uh, he's got to have a big step up and, and be their dominant player up front. Connor and Darren Waller uh, and his presence plays a lot into this next question, but pertaining to Daniel Jones, what do you see as Daniel Jones's ceiling? Great question. I, I don't think he'll ever be, and I think this is fair. I mean, I think Giants fans are aware of this, this elite game-changing quarterback, right? You have this bucket of quarterbacks right now like Mahomes and Burrow, and people think Herbert and Lawrence can take that step. And we've seen Lamar Jackson during his MVP year takeover games, of course, as well. And, you know, what Rodgers has been two years ago as well. Like Daniel Jones isn't the type of guy that you want to put the entire game all on his back. You want him playing in structure. You like the, what he can give you with his legs at times, his rushing ability, the accuracy, especially on that first read, very comfortable, the deep ball accuracy as well. 
but not this guy that you want to have to absolutely take over games. You want him to be a distributor. You want him to be that point guard and get the ball out on time and in rhythm and take care of the ball. So, I mean, that's a top 12-ish quarterback if you play at your highest level of that. And the Giants probably think that's enough. They have a great offensive coach. They have a good defensive coordinator. They've added a lot of talent to the defense. The biggest thing for me, Pat, is the NFC is not a gauntlet. It's just not. You go through the AFC schedule, and it's a laughter. And some of the teams that won't make the playoffs are teams that could be out of the playoffs with all these superstar quarterbacks. You look at the NFC, you know, what's in front of the Giants right now? You look at the 49ers and the Eagles and maybe the Cowboys and you know, the Seahawks have done some really nice things, but they still got to prove it as well. So for the Giants right now, the NFC being so open, I don't think you need your quarterback to play hero ball week after week. You can function with an efficient, well-called offense, and that's exactly what they have with Brian Dable. I agree with that. And further to your point, those names that you listed, whether it was Mahomes or Burrow or Lamar Jackson or Aaron Rodgers now, those are all quarterbacks who are in the AFC. So when you look at Jones, if he continues his ascent, I've been saying that I think he could be a top three quarterback in the NFC. Is that fair? I mean, you're always going to have Jalen Hurts there now who's taken this enormous leap, right? I think that when you look at – I like Dak Prescott. I know Cowboys fans are just on him, it feels like, all the time. And Dak definitely has his highs and lows. So – I guess he's right. He's the fringe of that, right? You're looking at the steps Geno Smith took last year. It's just funny, the quarterbacks that we're talking about in comparison to the other conference. I don't think it's outlandish to say in Dable's offense with better pass catchers, notably Darren Waller and maybe Jalen Hyatt makes that big step as well. There's no reason to think he can't challenge for that. I think the big question will always be Kyle Shanahan's ability to turn anybody into an incredibly efficient quarterback always has the San Francisco guys in the mix there, too. And it's wild to think of Brock Purdy uh, as a top-three quarterback in the NFC, and I'm not saying that, but statistically what that offense does, it's not out of the realm of possibility as well. Kyler Murray's hurt. That's a big one as well. And I'm not even the biggest Kyler guy, but just based on talent alone, he's somebody that would hover with that in the NFC. I think Jared Goff was quietly – very, very good last year for the Lions in another offense that sets up pocket passers for success. You have Kirk Cousins, of course, who's coming off a really good year. So, yeah, Jones is in that bucket, right? You have all of these guys challenging to probably be that number two and number three guy, and it feels more wide open than ever. All of the quarterback decisions that are coming down, the latest one was Baker Mayfield winning the job in Tampa Bay, but you have all the rookies starting in Indianapolis, in Carolina, in Houston. Did any of those decisions surprise you? Not really. I think when you look at the, you know, number one, the talent gap between Kyle Trask and Baker, say what you want about Baker, they were going to go with the veteran. They have a veteran offense, especially the wide receivers there. I think that one makes a lot of sense. So, not really. No big surprises because at the end of the day, logic often applies. I'm glad to see the commanders really stick by Sam Howell. He's an interesting one to me, and I think Giants fans would be really interested uh, because obviously they're in their division. Howell is a guy that coming into that last year before his final college season at UNC, he was in the first round of every single mock draft. He's got a big arm. He plays with a lot of moxie. He's a tough, tough guy. He ran for over 800 yards and 11 touchdowns that final college season. But as the supporting cast fell off, his decision-making fell off a little bit too. And it feels like going in the fifth round has actually done him some favors where he got to sit behind the scenes last year in Washington. Now he's had a really good camp, a really good preseason, as we saw against the Ravens on Monday night. I'm curious what he could do with an offense that has Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson. I think 
I'm not going to say the commanders are going to be the surprise team in the NFC, but I think with a capable quarterback, they have more talent than people realize. And speaking of quarterbacks, does Brock Purdy start week one for San Francisco? Yeah, I mean, Kyle Shanahan absolutely loves him. It seems like the elbow's checked out. Trey Lance has almost been written off there. I, I would honestly gear towards Sam Darnold being the number two going into the season. They've long liked Sam Darnold going back to his days with the Jets when they tried to trade for him. So I, I think that Brock Purdy will be the starter. And then, you know, bar, barring on how his health plays out and, you know, how his season starts, I think Sam Darnold could somehow be in the mix there eventually as well. But San Francisco's a team that, listen, they're going to try to ride their wave to the Super Bowl based on the run game and how that front four attacks on defense. And they have no problem trying to do that in the NFC. Connor, terrific information as always, getting us all set for what's going to be a really exciting season. I appreciate you taking the time tonight. Thanks. Anytime. Great talking to you, Pat. You too. That's Connor Rogers. You can see him all season long as part of the Jets pre and post game coverage on SNY. Covers the NFL for several other outlets as well Pro Football Focus, NBC Sports, and others. So, uh, the Jets-Giants preseason game, Saturday night. Again, you can hear it right here on 98.7, starting at 4 o'clock with our pregame coverage. The most highly anticipated NFL preseason game since last night when the Ravens are going for their 25th consecutive preseason victory. Who knows? But look, that's going to be exciting. It's a Giants home game, but I've got to think that a lot of Jets fans are going to try and get their hands on those tickets so they're in the stadium the first time that Aaron Rodgers actually takes the field in a New York Jets uniform, even though it is a preseason game. Reaction to what Connor had to say, and of course, reaction to the latest Yankees debacle. Their ninth consecutive loss, 2-1 to one, to one of the worst teams in the National League, the Washington Nationals. The Yankees muster just two base hits, both of them off the bat of their backup catcher. It goes from bad to worse to worse still. 1-800-919-3776. It's Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. The Yankees won a game. And here we are today. What's the date? The 22nd. So there you go. It's been, wow, it's been 18 days since the Yankees have won a game. Um, not the 4th of August, I'm sorry, the 11th of August. So it's been, uh, <laughs> it's been 11 days since the Yankees have won a game as their losing streak is at nine, uh, 60 and 65 is the record. As I mentioned, nine straight losses. Here's Aaron Boone after the latest. What is the team morale right now? Pretty down. We got to fight through it. You know, I think we're doing and saying the right things, but it's, you know, we're in it to win it. And, you know, at the end of the day, you work hard to put yourself in a position to shake hands at the end of the day. And when you get beat over and over again and you're in the middle of a tough season, it makes it hard. But you got to fight that feeling and, and get your ass back here tomorrow ready to compete. But it's no fun walking in that locker room getting beat every night. We're in it to win it. That's um, that, that We're just compiling the in it to win it drops for Aaron Boone, for Brian Cashman, for anyone associated with the Yankees. Wow. I like that they're still throwing out that phrase. Uh, let's go to the phones. Let's go to Mitch in East Windsor, who's been waiting patiently. Mitch, how you doing tonight? Hey, Pat. Let's um, judge. I mean, it's going to be a Hall of Fame. He's only have 500 runs. But I feel, you know, they're taking a chance. If he misses, he should rest him. If he gets hurt, may interrupt the next season, the beginning of it. I want to see the guy get at least 600. I think he's a great player. 
And um, I think the daughter, my daughter, the Yanks will go after either Soho, by via trade, and Cody Bellinger, I believe, be a free agent next year. You see them making moves. Well, that's the big question, and thanks for the call, Mitch. The big question is what moves are they going to make? As far as Judge goes, he's going to be a Hall of Famer. I'm I'm not there yet. If he's continues along this path, then sure. But how many career home runs does he have? He has 244 career home runs. I mean, I'd love to see the guy hit 600 home runs as well. I'd love to see him hit 500 home runs, but he's not even halfway to 500 at this point. Uh, he's got to stay healthy. He has, for the some of his career, shown that he can. And for a good portion of his career, he has shown that he cannot. But my thing is this, and I, I don't care about his final home run total. This guy, last year, the Yankees won the division, and they reached the ALCS. And they were as much a one-man team as you could be in Major League Baseball. I mean, there were weeks during last season where the lineup was performing somewhat similar to what the Yankee lineup is doing right now. The only difference is, or the biggest difference, was last year Aaron Judge was having one of the great seasons of all time. So he masked a lot of those deficiencies. This season, that has not been the case at all. This season, first of all, Judge missed two months. And since he has come back, teams don't feel the need to pitch to him. And now he's actually struggling a little bit because everybody else around him is struggling. So he's starting to press. He had a couple strikeouts in the game tonight. Another over for Aaron Judge. But the bottom line is this. What do you gain? What do you gain by Judge playing the rest of the season? At some point, and if this continues, it's got to be soon. At some point, you have to shut him down for the rest of the season. Now, the Yankees did bring up Everson Pereira tonight. They called him back up yesterday. They called Oswald Peraza back up yesterday. They were both in the lineup. Obviously, neither made much of an impact. Pereira batted seventh. He went over three with a walk, did hit a rope his last at-bat when he came up in the bottom of the ninth inning as the potential winning run, hit a rope to center field, but it hung up there, and it was caught for an out. Peraza, who's batting 161 on the season, went 0 for 4 while starting at third base. But Pereira has been tearing it up in the minors, first in double-A, then in triple-A. He came in with an OPS well above 900, and Boone spoke about Pereira's at-bats in his Major League debut. Yeah, I thought Pereira was pretty good. I, I thought he laid off some tough pitches too, which was good to see, even even especially in his first at bat. You know, took you know borderline strike, but laid off some tough pitches there with two strikes. You know, was able to work a walk. You know, hit the ball pretty hard there his last at bat, um, and hit a ball decent to short. But I thought he looked fairly comfortable, and and I thought got some pretty good swings off. I thought he looked good and and under control. Point in the season, you've got to you've got to continue to do what you've done with Anthony Volpe all year. Throw him out there and let him figure it out on this level. You have to do that. You have nothing to lose at this point. You really don't. This season has already been the worst season in more than three decades. You've got to get something out of this. If you look right now at this Yankee season, what is the most positive thing that has come out of this season? It's probably outside of Garrett Cole's Cy Young Award candidacy, which he did some damage to in his last start against the Red Sox this weekend. But outside of that, the most positive thing to come out of the season was Anthony Volpe. Throwing him out there every game, he's getting better. He's as good, if not better, right now than he has been at any point during his rookie season. He's going to finish with 20 home runs and 20 stolen bases. 
Field's a good position. He took his lumps, and he's going to be better off for it. You need more positives than just that. More of your phone calls, more reaction to the latest Yankees loss as we continue on 98.7 ESPN New York. 